My name is M. Jason Graham, and this is the M. Jason Graham Show. Gentrifying hope, coloring outside the lines. According to the Merriam-Webster definition, gentrification is the process of repairing and rebuilding homes and businesses in a deteriorating area accompanied by an influx of middle-class or affluent people and often results in the displacement of the earlier, usually poorer, residents. In other words, a select group of people makes a value judgment about a different group of people, oftentimes without the latter's input. I have to admit, this realization is infuriating because I now have enough experience to understand how profoundly this idea has impacted the course of my life. Today's guest has 25 plus years of experience in housing and community development. He attended Ball State University where he earned a Bachelor of Science in Biology and a master's in urban and regional planning. Currently, he works as a development consultant, assisting clients with multifamily and single-family housing projects, strategic planning efforts, and business development. As usual, I can be reached by emailing show at mjgstorycreation.com. Now, welcome, Mr. Mark Young. Mr. Mark Young, welcome to the podcast. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, where does this? Uh, where are you located? I'm located in Indianapolis, Indiana, in the heart of the Midwest. Okay. So uh, this season has been about property and land. And so I, I, I've been in contact with you for the last couple of, of weeks. And so we're going to talk, I guess, specifics about uh, land. And the first question I wanted to ask you was why buying land is important for asset building? Well, I think the, one of the main reasons it's important is because um, land uh, appreciates. Um, it's a limited supply of it, so having it as an asset, um, it may grow at different rates in different places, but it usually uh, grows as an asset, which which makes it a, a special type of investment and in, in asset to have in your portfolio, and that you can count it going up in value. Um, there's also a lot of tax benefits on the land. So. Uh, like. Uh, you can have deductions if you own land, you own property, and you have to keep it up. Those are tax-deductible items. Um, I think those are the main issues, depending on what you what you do with it. I'm not an accountant or a CPA, but there are certain tax benefits that go along with buying land. If you get a, a, a waterfall income and, and you want to put it into purchasing some land or property, um, it makes it um, not tax uh, taxable. Um, and you don't have to worry about taxation until you get rid of the land. So, as long as you have it, it's, it's a write-off to a certain degree. 
Wow. So what what should you, what what do you, sorry. What should you consider before buying land? I think there are several things you want to consider before buying land. Um, one of the first things I would consider is what do you want to do with it? Um, is this just a long-term hold? Are you trying to develop it? Um, do you want to put something on it right now? Or if it already has, say, a homeowner, are you trying to rehab it? Um, so I, I think you're... Before buying land, I think you have to understand what you want to do with the land. Um, I would never tell somebody just to go out and buy it and not know what they're going to do with it, but having a good plan of action, knowing what your own uh, capacities are and capabilities are regarding um, completing your development or doing what you're trying to do is always important in saying um, how you want to spend your money, how much money do you have to spend. All those things have to be considered before buying, buying property. What is conveyance? Conveyance is has to do with how a land is transfer, transferred to you. So, for instance, you could uh, your auntie could own a lot, um, and she could say, "Baby, I want to give you give you this piece of land um, as a birthday present." And you could say, "Okay," and she could she could get a quick claim deed off the internet, um, and you guys get it signed and notarized, and then it's your property. Um, but you have a quick claim deed then, so you don't know what else is going on with their property. I always advise people that conveyance is very important. What you really want is a general warranty deed, which basically means it has some insurance around it, and they've done a check to see um, if there are any outstanding liens or anything else like that on the property. So, for instance, in the same scenario, your auntie could quick claim your piece of property, um, and once you got that property and it gets recorded, you might realize that it has $20,000 worth of liens on it, it has back taxes on it and everything else. If you go through a title company, they do a property search uh, to tell you what's on it. And so if it's nothing on it, that's fine. But if it is something on it, they generally require that to either be cleaned up or for you to take it knowing those things. Um, but if they're like liens from the city or something, that type of stuff has to be uh, taken care of before you can convey it. So conveyance really makes sure that you know what's going on with the property before you buy it and so you don't get yourself in a situation where someone might have wanted to gift you a property, but in the end, it's more of a headache than it is a help. So how does zoning work into all of this? Um, zoning is, is very important. Zoning really came around in the late 60s and early 70s. It, it had to do with um, cities trying to plan development and make sure that uses are compatible when they're next to each other. Um, in the old days, you could have a pig farm right next to a neighborhood. And so you could imagine how that could work. So what zoning did was try to reverse that, that kind of random development, and put it in categories. So now you have commercial areas, you have residential areas, you have industrial areas, um, you have areas that are kind of, kind of in between. Um, so zoning is something you also consider before you buy a property. Um, if you're trying to develop uh, a house and you have a commercial property, it may not work. The city may not let you do it. If it's vice versa and and you're, you you want to do a commercial storefront, but you're in a residential neighborhood, it may not be allowed. So researching all those things are also part of going into it. And zoning is a very important part of it because it tells you how big you can build, um, you know, everything that you can do. So if you bought an acre of land and you're thinking you're going to put, a five-story apartment building on it, 
the zoning, it may be residential one and they only allow single family homes on it. So it just helps you to be informed and, and know what you're doing and know what you're getting into. I think one of our other guests mentioned something about there being different, even different categories within zones. Like for instance, you wouldn't necessarily find a strip club next to an office building. Mm -hmm. yeah. How how does something like that work? So typically in any zoning category, and so the, the biggest zoning categories are residential, commercial, industrial, and special use. So in special use, you may have things like churches and schools and things like that. In, a, in residential, you may have residential one, two, three, four, five, just depending on how the city comes up with it. But a residential one may say, well, your lot size has to be an acre. Um, in residential five, it may say that you can put a duplex on it or you can put a quad on it or something like that. So there's just different stages of residential development that they try to balance it. And so what they don't want to have happen is in a single-family residential area, somebody come in with a residence that's, um, that has eight units in it and, and it doesn't fit within the context of the rest of the neighborhood. And so you have these large swaths that are zoned independently. And for your example, for instance, in commercial, you may have the same thing. You may have a commercial business district. You may have a commercial one, two, or three. In the three, you may be able to have everything from a car wash to a nightclub to a strip club. But in the commercial business district, you may only be able to have offices or, you know, restaurants to have a drive-through or something like that. And so it's just a way for them to distinguish and group things in certain areas so that um, you don't have a strip club next to an office building, as an example. So this is this is really a lot more complicated than I initially thought. All of these decisions being made. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're not aware of, I mean, you always have in any any major city anyway, they'll have a planning department, and you can always go down and talk to the planning department even before you bought a land, and, and you want to consider, and you want to say, hey, what can I put here? I'm thinking about buying this two acres of land, and they'll tell you like it's currently zoned this. And they'll show you a, a book or ordinance that says these are the type of uses that are allowed in that area. Um, so it's just another way to get, gather information and to kind of learn and plan what you what you anticipate doing. What are some responsibilities of land ownership that people don't typically think about? Um, I see people get in a lot of trouble if they don't really think about land ownership from the standpoint that you. Um, you always have property taxes. Um, so if you just have a, a lot, a vacant lot, you may think going to get that lot is great, but depending on what the assessed value is and, and what your development plans are, you may have to pay $1,000 a year just to, just to hold that land. If you have a property that somebody's giving you or consider buying and that property is in disrepair, you could end up with orders on that are repair orders. And then if if it's not boarded properly, the city may do it for you. Um, then they will put a lien on the property. And so you just have to realize that you have to maintain it. You have to keep the grass cut. If there's the actual physical structure on the building, you have to keep it in some form of repair. It may not have to be, uh, uh, be occupied or have the ability to be occupied at the time. But the city's most cold places require homes to be to be safe or secured if they're not livable. And so those are all costs you're gonna to have to deal with. If you have a structure, 
Uh, you're likely going to want to have insurance on it. So if you have a fire or something, you're able to um, take care of that. If somebody enters the property and gets hurt, you don't want to get sued. So you have, you know, general liability insurance on the property. I think those are the big ones. They are governmental costs and then costs just to, in, just to protect yourself are the main ongoing costs of um, a development that a lot of people are just not aware of and don't think about. So when it comes to landowner rights, what are some of the different types of landowner rights that we don't typically think about? Well, the, I mean, the, the general rights of a landowner are that you have a right to develop the property, you have a right to sell the property, um, but all that is within the context of, of what your government authority allows you to do. So a lot of people may think that, well, I own this property, I can do what I want to. Well, that's not the case. Um, all that goes back to zoning and things like that. Um, and so you just have to be very, very um, careful because your rights are contingent on what the government authorities have allowed to be your rights. Um, you, you don't necessarily have a right to, to do anything. A city almost always has a right of eminent domain. So if they need it for a major project, and they're willing to pay you the appraised value of it, then you know they have the ability to take it. So your rights are limited. Um, but generally, I mean, you can you can kind of do what you want to. You can create plans. You can finance it. You can use it as equity for a line of credit um, if you have full ownership of it. Uh, you can build on it to the zoning requirements, rent it out. Um, and so uh, your rights are generally like any other property rights. When you're talking about land ownership, there's not a huge difference in it. It's just that property, because it's a, it's a, it's a part of the, the physical environment, generally has more rules on it than, say, if you own the car. Um, and, you know, you can do whatever you want to with it. You can lend it to somebody. You can do whatever you want. Land is a little bit different. You, know, you can sell. You can lease it to somebody to, to uh, build on. Um, uh, things like that, but you have to kind of know what's going on uh, in, the, in the larger context of that property and where it's located. Hey guys, I know this is a really good discussion, but we got to take a break. We'll be right back after these messages. My name is Dr. GMP. That's Dr. Graham in Purpose, and I'm here to advise, teach, and govern you in the areas of business finance, and leadership. As president of Utilitarian Financial Consulting Corporation, I build custom solutions using 20 years of experience and leadership research to identify the source of inefficiency. From household corporations to global corporations, I am here to help you eliminate inefficiencies that hinder success. Oh, and real quick, guys, don't forget to check out last week's episode with Dr. Graham. She goes over some of the concepts that we go through this week in detail. You don't want to miss it. So what about some of the other rights? Like, for instance, in, in Texas, they have mineral rights. So how does that work into the equation? Well, mineral rights are an interesting thing because uh, a lot of times when in the 30s and 40s and 50s, um, oil companies will go out because they've done um, geological surveys to know that there may be minerals, oil, or some other valuable commodity that's under the land. But at that same point in time, they might not want to hold the land or they want to try to, you know, put it to some other use. 
this is why you know title work and and, and being careful about quick claim deeds is very very important. Um, if you're if you're purchasing a property and somebody has mineral rights on it, um, you can do whatever you want to with that property to a degree. They will always have the rights to come and drill on that property because a lot of those times when they sell that stuff, their mineral rights are in perpetuity, so they could last forever, or they could last for 99 years or 75 years, and all these other things. Um, but mineral rights are just typically something that a, a company may purchase if you own a land and they find out something's on it. Somebody might try to come and buy your mineral rights, um, but typically that allows them to drill or dig in some capacity or form on that land. And so it's just something that you just really need to be aware of. It's not something we see a lot here in the Midwest, but like you said, in Texas, where they may find a pool of oil that's worth millions and billions of dollars that's underneath your property. Um, you just have to be careful and know how, not that you shouldn't sell human rights if you need the money or want the money, but you have to be aware of the value of it and things like that. And you have to be aware of those mineral rights already exist on a property you're purchasing. What are some other rights that are that because we don't normally think of mineral rights when we buy land, are there any other rights that we are don't typically that aren't typically talked about as far well, as land is concerned? Would, yeah, there could be covenants on it. Um, and again, this is the type of things that come up when somebody does a title search. So let's say, for instance, you um, are looking to buy a land, buy a piece of land in an area that's considered historic. Um, or your family had a lot, and they've had it for the last 50 years because your grandmother bought it, and it's, it's, a, it's a lot. And you may say, hey, I own this lot. But covenants and declarations um, can run with the land as long as they're not illegal or go against some type of fair housing rule. In the past, there were many covenants that said you can't sell to a black person or some other minority. Now, those are illegal. Those are not, those are not enforceable. But there are ones that are enforceable. So, for instance, if you bought a piece of property and it could be a covenant on it for any reason, people had a lot of reasons to do these things, that say um, you can't put anything but a single-family house on this land. But the land may be big enough for you to divide it up into four pieces and make four individual properties. Um, so those are kind of those hidden things, and they're called covenant children that go along with the land. You get them often when you buy a new home in a subdivision. It's the same type of thing. You have a homeless association. They have covenants and say, okay, well, your house can't be pink. It can only use these colors. If you want to add on to it or put a basketball goal in your backyard, you have to come to the homeowners association to have it approved. Those are all covenants. But I think in, in the discussion we're talking about, when you're talking about purchasing land, you just need to be aware if there are covenants actually on that property or not. Um, and if there are, you need to read through them and be sure that those covenants don't pre present, prevent you from doing anything that you want to do in your development plan. Okay. Um, yeah. The, typically, there's a there's a, a lot of things that we don't typically. Well, I don't typically think about, but I haven't owned a home before. So, speaking of that, if I'm interested in in buying property, where are the best places to look? I think that's kind of twofold. I would say if you're looking for property as an asset to grow, um, you may look in um, urban communities. Or, so you kind of have different rules for urban versus rural communities. 
Um, in rural communities, the the housing, the, the, the values on lands are generally a lot lower than they are in cities. And so if I'm purchasing a property in a rural area, I really want to know what I'm going to do with it. Um, if I'm about 50 acres, I want to know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to sit on it. Am I going to build a house on it for retirement or whatever? When you're talking about an um, a urban environment, I think you really have to get into knowing um, what the values are in that land, right? Um, I've seen a lot of people, I'm a development consultant, so I work with a lot of people who are trying to do development. So someone might buy buy a lot, let's say, out of a tax sale, and they pay $500 um, for, that, for that piece of property. And they think they're going to build on it. And it's like, oh, I'm going to build a, build a new house on this lot. But then what they didn't do is check the values of the surrounding properties in that area. And so if the and let's say, you know, Indianapolis is a low-cost area. So I could say the homes value in this neighborhood are $80,000. And you say, okay, well, I want to build a house in this area. But if you know anything about construction, you know that you can't build a house for $80,000 because you don't have comps that support you selling it. So unless you're going to do it with your own cash, if you're ever going to go to a lender, a lender is not going to let you build over the value of the comps in the area. And so... If you're buying a property simply for investment, you can buy that property. But if you're buying a property to develop, you really have to know what's going on in the, in, in the surrounding community. Um, I would say if I was going to pick a property, I would look at a place that, um, you know, maybe starting to gentrify to some area or gentrification is moving in a certain area because then you know that that value is likely going to increase a lot a lot faster than an area that, that may not be experiencing or may have, 20 or 30 years out before redevelopment may occur. Um, so it, it depends again on your goals, but in general, I would say um, you want to really know the value of the property you're buying, uh, what's the assessed value, what's the, what's the tax rates associated with it, um, what's the house next to it worth, what are the lots in the area worth. Um, you could find a property and say, hey, this guy wants to sell me a lot for $50,000. It's a great buy, but if you do your research, you may see that all the lots around here are going for $10,000. Um, and so you just, it's this kind of stuff you just have to know or, or better yet ask somebody who does understand it. Um, get it. There's nothing wrong with getting a real estate agent to buy stuff uh, and asking them the hard questions and letting them help you through the process. Okay. Uh, one final question. What is a book that you would recommend to the audience to read? Um. I, I haven't, I don't read a lot of books that are actually in the real estate field because I'm more of a practitioner. But um, I, I really enjoyed, I purchased about a month ago, um, Eddie Claw's book. Um, um, I can't remember what it's called right now, but it's about um, James Baldwin. I, I think it's called. Um, Was it about Born Again? Or Born Again, that's it, thank you. Born Again uh, by Eddie Claude. It's about James Baldwin. And in reading that book, um, you realize that not only have, have our problems in the African-American community transcended time, but um, you realize uh, how, how wide of a variety of thought we actually have. Um, and, and he was truly a guy who seems like he was born at the wrong time. Like he should have been born probably 50 years from now, maybe. Um, and, and because he was uh, a gay man, he was black, 
Um, he had suffered abuse at the hands of his parents. He had lived overseas. Um, it just makes for a, a fascinating story for somebody who's, who was a creative person who could express himself um, in written pen uh, the way he could. Um, and the fact that he was, they were going through um, civil unrest and turmoil similar to today, but um, a little different in some ways. Um, but it, 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 I, I think the book grounded me a lot, um, and it kind of it almost takes you back to what they were actually going through in the 50s and 60s, and it kind of helps you relate to what we're going through today because I think a lot of times what we're going through today, we think it's new, and it's just it's really not new. It's really just a, kind of a recycling of something that's going on, and it's always stuff that you can learn from the past even though people don't think you can. And so, for example, today we have people who want to go the peaceful route and the legal route, and you have people who are much more rebellious. And that's the same type of dynamic that was going on between Baldwin and Malcolm X and, and Martin Luther King, and those dynamics still exist today. And I think we don't think about it enough to realize like we, there is – there is knowledge in history and there's guidance in history. And so I just took a lot from the book. I think it's, 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 a, it's a good read and, and very, very interesting. Okay. I will definitely put that book in our show notes. Mark, if, if people wanted to get a hold of you, uh, where could, how could they get a hold of you? Um, well, uh, I don't have a particular way to get a hold of me beyond, you know, a sales number or email. Um, which I'm, you know, I'm happy to, to give you my, my email. It's uh, myoung44 at att.net. Um, but, you know, if they want to get that, that's probably the easiest way. Uh, and if people have questions or, you know, want, want to run something by me, I'm more than happy to, to help them out. All right, Mark. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for having me. And I hope, uh, hopefully, um, someone will get some good information out of it, even if it's just one person that, that makes a difference and makes them uh, go into land ownership a, a little wiser um, and and know uh, where to ask and who to talk to if, if they still need more information. I want to thank Mr. Young for joining us today and shedding light on how we should approach land ownership. Land ownership is rooted in the idea of the divine right of kings. We have been conditioned to believe that prosperity is earned by those born or endowed with a special lineage. The truth is, luck tends to favor those bold enough to operate in the dubious margins of life. Consider the U.S. We have a well-documented history of the government's redistribution of land to those who, in theory, by way of storytelling, will make better use of it. Information and experience are not the final step. We must be willing to apply them in a way that no one has ever seen before, and in doing so, gentrify our hope. Next week, Mr. Courtney A. Hart returns. This time, he will be on the hot seat, and we'll talk about residential property ownership. For more information about future guests and episodes, 
go to mjgstorycreation.com and click the MJG Show button at the top. If you have comments about the episode, leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. Until next week, take care of each other. The M. Jason Graham Show is written and produced by M. Jason Graham. The show theme was composed by Travis D. Artis. This has been the M. Jason Graham Show. I'm M. Jason Graham.